2: Barack Obama and Joe Biden are teaming up to promote one of their biggest accomplishments. We have details on their rare White House reunion and whether the former president can help the current one get reelected. Plus, a growing divide. The U.S. and Israel are no longer in lockstep on how to prosecute the war against Hamas terrorists as a top Biden official meets with the leader of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. And it's time for closing arguments. Republican candidates have one month left to make their case to Iowa voters. Nikki Haley just agreed that the CNN debate stage will be one of her final stops. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. start with Obama and Biden joining forces again. The former president taped a new ad with his former VP on the importance of Obamacare. CNN's Kevin Liptak is at the White House. Kevin, you broke the story. Tell us about this.
3: Yeah, and it's always interesting to see how this White House chooses to deploy the former president in their messaging. Obviously, President Obama remains enormously popular among Democrats, and the Affordable Care Act remains a major part of his legacy. So perhaps it was no surprise that the White House is taping this ad in the White House residence. Uh, Tried to time around the uh, open enrollment period for those Obamacare exchanges. They taped it last week. Let's watch a little bit of it.
4: Hey, President Biden, is Obamacare still a thing? Is it still a thing?
3: Yes. Obamacare, the
4: Affordable Care Act, Biden Care, whatever you call it, yes, it is still a thing. The other side's been trying to repeal it every year since it's existed, but we'll keep fighting to protect it.
5: Not just protect it, but expand it, saving millions of dollars for working
4: families, for covering more people than ever. Just go to healthcare.gov. To
3: learn more. Yeah, it's still a BFD. Yeah, so BFD, obviously a reference to that hot mic mic expletive that the two leaders exchanged on the day Obamacare was signed, but I think this tells you a couple of things. One, the Biden folks really do think that health care will be a big issue in next year's campaign, particularly after former President Trump vowed to repeal the law, and the law is popular, and I think it also tells you that they plan to rely on President Obama as they try and enthuse Democrats heading into next year's election. President Obama still. Still popular within the party, and they are looking for reasons to get Democrats out to vote for issues that they care about, and this is certainly one of them, Dana.
2: Kevin, thank you so much. Great reporting. Appreciate it. Want to bring in our political panel on this and more. CNN's Casey Hunt, CNN's Daniel Strauss, and Jackie Kucinich from the Boston Globe. Hi, everybody. Hello. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. We obviously all got the Navy memo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little spooky. Okay. Uh, Let's obviously talk about, they want to talk about Obamacare no matter what, but let's go back not that far in time to remind our viewers of Inside Politics why they think it's even more resonant right now. Let's listen to what Donald Trump said recently on the trail.
5: But Obamacare is a disaster. And I said, we're going to, we're going to do something about it. I saved Obamacare when we got John McCain's negative vote. You know, he voted against it after campaigning for many, many years. He said, uh, thumbs down. I'm not attacking it. When we had Obamacare, I fixed it and made it work. But I also made the statement, it will never be any good. It will never be any good. And it is no good. (laughs)
6: I mean, that was a gift, To I mean, my sense is Donald Trump was responding to criticisms from his Republican rivals over his failure to repeal Obamacare, and that's why suddenly this was brought up into the conversation. But it was a gift to Democrats who see the popularity of the law, know how it played last time, and are just, I mean, they they haven't had many great breaks lately, but this was a good one for them.
2: And the Obama of it all, uh, the fact that he is engaging, as he is, pretty early in the campaign process for Obama. He likes to kind of be more of the closer in a general election. This is what Dick Harpulatin, uh said on Sunday, and I think we caught our eye because it seems very astute. Barack Obama ought to step up. Every Democrat and independent who cherishes the democracy that we've gotten to know, and if they want to stop it from unraveling, better step up with checkbooks and every waking moment to try to motivate people
7: It's a curious contrast from 2022 and that cycle where Obama and his team uh, looked to use him very tactically exactly. and did not distribute him across the country as much as one would expect. But right now he's being rolled out early. And let's also remember something important about oh, the Obamacare. It's the phrase Obamacare. It is his legacy. That's something that was cemented. O- originally it was a derogatory term that Republicans were trying to push and then Democrats embraced it. And the Biden administration hasn't had that sort of fortune with Bidenomics. It just is not, it does, it's not in the conversation the same way. It is not associated with benefits and entitlements that really get Democrats energized the way Obamacare does. Now, there's a large portion of young Democratic voters who don't really mm. remember the fights of Obamacare and now yeah. I'm feeling old. Now. Well, yeah, I'm, like,
2: gonna, I'm about to make you feel even older because oh, okay. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, let's look back, at, or let's look sort of just generally at the way young voters voted. Uh, in 2008, 2012, uh, they voted uh, for Obama uh, in a big way. Now, let's look at how old those voters are. Those young voters, Daniel. <laughs> oh, yes, that's he's me. got, he's crying the, the, I'm in that the, age tear, bracket. the tears of getting older. They're not, I mean, they're young, but they're not the youngest voters anymore. So the they're question- middle-aged. We're middle-aged, voters. are yeah, <laughs> The question is whether or not uh, Obama has the same magic with quote unquote young voters, or is it just the voters who were young at the time who are now thirty to forty four
1: Well, Democrats do need that set of voters to come out, but there is a health care issue that has been motivating voters, and that's abortion mm. and so we know that 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 health care in both in the Obamacare and taking away abortion rights in many states have gotten. Voters to the polls, so Democrats. You can totally understand why they're harping on this. Whether Obama will be the spokesperson, he does motivate um, black voters. He motivates, you know, uh, a certain sector of the. The I, I like to call them young voters, even yeah. though you know, I'm We'll just stick with it. <laughs> the elder millennial of the bunch. Um, so you know, will that? I don't know that anyone, any one person, will get someone to the polls, but it can't hurt. Young voters, just not the youngest. Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) Everybody sit tight for just a minute because we do have some big news out of Iowa this morning. Nikki Haley says that she will participate in next month's CNN Iowa primary debate so far. The only three candidates to qualify are Haley, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. CNN's Jeff Zeleny joins us now. Jeff. What can you tell us about this decision from the Haley campaign?
8: Well, Dana, we can say that uh, Nikki Haley, the former governor of, of uh, South Carolina and the former U.N. ambassador, is agreeing to participate, and she's doing more than that. She uh, noticed that uh, the, uh, the field is getting smaller, and she said it's, quote, getting harder for Donald Trump to hide. So as she accepted this debate invitation uh, just days before the Iowa caucuses, she's also trying to uh, persuade Donald Trump to come into this debate or make clear that, uh, in her words, he's afraid to debate. We will see. Of course, he has made a decision by decision every debate throughout the fall. He has not attended, and that has served him just fine. He's still in a commanding lead of this race. So something would have to change, obviously, for him to jump in. But what this is going to shine a light on is that race for second place Mm -hmm. between Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And this is the uh, criteria uh, for that uh, debate. Each of the candidates must have at least 10 percent in three polls. Um, either nationally or in Iowa. The qualifying window for that is January 2nd. So some of the other candidates like Vivek Ramaswamy out there campaigning aggressively to try and make that. And three candidates, as you said, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley have qualified. But this coming uh, days before the Iowa caucuses, uh, there are a lot of open minds out there. A lot of voters are still trying to uh, weigh decisions, particularly looking for the Trump alternative. Now we know they'll be on the debate stage at Drake University, moderated, of course, by you, Dana Bash and Jake Tapper.
2: Thank you so much, Jeff, appreciate it. And Jeff mentioned part of Nikki Haley's statement was saying, trying to shame Donald Trump into finally getting on the debate stage. This is what Ron DeSantis said in a tweet. If Donald Trump and Nikki Haley are going to continue to spend millions against me on television with false ads, they should at least have the courage to meet on the debate stage. Now Nikki Haley has been shamed into coming to the CNN debate. It's time for Donald Trump to follow suit and join us. He said no
1: the last however many debates. I mean, there's no, and it hasn't hurt him. So what is the incentive? I mean, because he, he, I don't, I I don't think shame is something, is a feeling that um, you would associate with the former president. Um, So I don't know that tactic's going to work. Even baiting him there hasn't worked for these candidates. But, you know, who knows? Well, I think the question
6: is going to be, does it get to a point where, you know, so far he's been able to basically say, like, this is not a race among equals, Right. Um, These candidates that are challenging me have not shown that they are equal to me in terms of their chances of winning this nomination based on the poll numbers. Um, And the reality is, particularly in Iowa, the numbers have actually been moving in his direction. I mean, he was in October below uh, 50 percent in the Iowa poll, which is the gold standard there. And the most recent poll, he's up above 50 percent. So, you know, I think there's something there. I do think um, that, you know, the there is potentially the most risk him to the extent there's any risk at all in skipping one that is, what, five days Mm -hmm. before the actual caucuses when Ron DeSantis is going to be trying to. Look, if Ron DeSantis comes, you know, within 20 points of Donald Trump in Iowa or like surges beyond where he is in the polls in some sort of meaningful way, that's going to be a narrative that hurts Donald Trump. And New Hampshire is a much riskier place for him. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, you know, Dana, I'm really looking forward to seeing you moderate this no matter who shows up. I do think it's possible that, New Hampshire is the more likely place where
2: we would see Donald Trump actually get forced onto the stage, depending on what happens in that. Speaking of New Hampshire, Chris Christie uh, continues to play in New Hampshire, not in Iowa. Uh, So far, he does not have the polling to make the Iowa debate stage. He is still uh, hitting hard the notion that the other candidates in the race aren't going after Donald Trump enough, and he's doing that in a brand new ad.
1: Nikki Haley, down by 26 in her home state to Trump, attacks DeSantis. Too lame to lead, too weak to win. DeSantis, down 32 to Trump in Iowa, attacks Nikki Haley. You can't trust Tricky Nikki. There's only one candidate trying to stop Trump. Chris Christie is the only one who can beat Trump.
7: Look, as a former Christie uh, reporter in 2016, uh, I will—I can't say enough how much he and his team see New Hampshire as key to any chance of winning the White House. But it real—this ad shows really how much of a threat Haley is to the rest of the field, and that was on d- display in the last presidential debate. Uh, all of the discussion, all of the conflict surrounded Haley, so the fact that the uh, Christie team feels that they need to spend ad time and money on Haley means that she's threatening not only DeSantis mm-hmm. and his voters, who are pro-Trump but looking for an alternative, but also the more moderate voters who are open to Christie, and, you know, that it, that shows that she's it,
2: it, yeah moving, yes not and, Yes, moving, not surging, yeah. <laughs> so far. He, it, again, like I said, Right now, the numbers don't show that he will make the stage, nor will Vivek Ramaswamy. The idea of just two people, assuming Donald Trump doesn't show up, which we hope he does, but if it doesn't happen of just two people, maybe three people, it will be a different vibe.
1: Well, I think in even the debates where you had Vivek Ramaswamy and Chris Christie, it was only about two people mm. um, because because they've been the two contenders, the two contenders for second place. Um, And, you know, the biggest problematic part of that Christie ad is that last sentence. He's the only one who could beat Donald Trump. Well, he's not. It is the primary. The primaries are very close, and he hasn't shown an ability to get even close. So there is a reason the focus has been on those two candidates. That seems to be who the voters who do not want Donald Trump are spending their time investing in and, um, you know, perhaps winning their votes. It's
6: still a huge opportunity to just have the two of them on the stage, Totally, party, though, Dana. And I'm going to be really interested to see if either one of them do are willing to focus outward and say that the race here is not, the fight is not between the two of us. The fight is between each of us and Donald Trump. I'm not sure that they'll do We haven't that, seen it quite yet. <laughs> we have not. Yeah.
2: Everybody stand by, because today the White House National Security Advisor is back in Israel with a new message from the Biden administration. He says it's time for a new phase of the war. What does that mean? We'll go to a reporter in Israel next.
0: This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited-edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly
1: about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry
2: ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. A critical meeting in the West Bank. President Biden's National Security Advisor is there today for a one-on-one meeting with Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas. It comes just hours after Jake Sullivan met with top Israeli officials amid a growing divide between the U.S. and Israel on what happens next in Israel's war against Hamas terrorists. CNN's Jeremy Diamond is in Starot. Jeremy, you uh, cover the White House. You have been in Israel now since, basically since right after October 7th. You understand uh, the sort of inner workings of this relationship as well as anyone. There is a big shift and a growing impatience in the Biden administration, no?
9: No doubt about it, Dana. And we saw that rift uh, between uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Biden spill into public view earlier this week. But what we saw today from the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was to at least publicly try and paper over what are some real and major differences between the two governments. There are major differences on everything from when exactly to begin transitioning the fighting uh, from a more intense to a less intense phase, civilian casualties in Gaza, and of course what happens after Hamas is eradicated from Gaza if indeed Israel achieves that objective in the Gaza Strip. All of those, the subject of debate and intense discussion between Jake Sullivan and his Israeli counterparts uh, over the course of the last couple of days. Uh, but Jake Sullivan, this is how he described those meetings to our colleague Alex Marcourt. Listen.
7: We're not here to tell anybody you must do X, you must do Y, we're here to say this is our perspective as your partner, as your friend, this is what we believe is the best way to achieve both your tactical and strategic goals. We expect that that will occur in the future. When exactly that happens and under exact, exactly what conditions will be a continuing intensive discussion between the United States and Israel.
9: Of course, when you look at the public comments made by Israeli officials, I mean, they are talking about this war lasting for months. The Israeli prime minister yesterday making clear that this war is going to continue until he reaches the objective of destroying Hamas. Sullivan today insisted that there's no contradiction between the war lasting for months and transitioning to a less intense phase of fighting uh, much sooner than that. But it is clear that there are differences over exactly when this will happen. And Jake Sullivan also talked about the civilian casualties in Gaza, saying that while he believes that Israel has the intent to distinguish between Hamas targets and civilians in Gaza, that effectively that is not the reality on the ground and that the U.S., even before that transition to a less intense phase of fighting, wants to see that intention that the U.S. believes Israel has reflected in the reality of its war in Gaza.
2: And yeah, Jeremy, and just the idea of Jake Sullivan going to Ramallah, meeting with the Palestinian Authority president is a very symbolic, given the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu is arguing that they should have absolutely no role in governing Gaza when the war is over. Uh, Speaking of Gaza, what are you hearing about the hostages? Many, many hostages still being held captive there by Hamas terrorists. It's been two weeks since the last hostages were released.
9: Yeah, well, the Israeli prime minister's office today providing an update on the number of hostages that they believe are still being held in the Gaza Strip. That is 132 hostage, but 20 of those, according to the Israeli government, are believed to be dead. Uh, the Israeli government will, of course, still have to negotiate for uh, the release of those bodies uh, or have to recover them in ground operations. That so what we saw happen today as the bodies of two Israeli soldiers who were abducted on October 7th were recovered by Israeli forces inside of Gaza. And of course, that is also the subject of Jake Sullivan's meetings with Israeli officials and with players in the region. They want to try and restart those hostage negotiations to try and look for another potential truce between Israel and Hamas to get more of those hostages, at least eight of whom are believed to be Americans out of Gaza. Dana.
2: Jeremy, thank you so much. I appreciate all your reporting there. And now here in Washington to Capitol Hill, where senators cannot go home for the holidays, not just yet. Instead, Senate negotiators were meeting today with President Biden's Homeland Security Secretary. They are trying to reach a deal to tie new immigration restrictions to aid for Israel and for Ukraine. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer delayed the holiday recess to give lawmakers more time to negotiate CNN's. Lauren Fox is on Capitol Hill. Lauren, what are you hearing from your sources about where those negotiations stand?
10: Yeah, Dana, I am just coming from standing right outside of that meeting where we understand that Mayorkas has just left the Capitol. Senators are still in the room, however, having those hard-fought conversations about if any middle ground can be found between Republicans and Democrats on this really tricky issue of what can they do on the southern border. Now, these talks are have intensified over the last several days, and yet they still have a long way to go. Senator Kirsten Sinema, one of the key negotiators in these talks, told me yesterday that what has really changed over the course of the last week is the involvement from the administration. Here she was.
1: the fact that the White House is fully engaged in the negotiations has definitely made a difference. It's communicated to Senate Republicans that this is serious and that we've got a deal in the future. So that's been really helpful.
10: And senators on the Republican side are still deeply skeptical that a deal can be found over the next several days and that one could be voted on as soon as next week. Senator John Cornyn telling our colleagues yesterday that he still feels like Schumer might be dreaming when it comes to that timeline. Dana?
2: Well, see, the fact that they're actually staying and talking is a is a big deal, you know, far better than I. Thanks, Lauren, appreciate it. Just ahead, CNN's John King is checking back in with Iowa Republicans, some he met earlier this year. Some of them have changed their minds on who their choice is in 2024. We are exactly one month away from the Iowa caucuses and Donald Trump is holding on to a commanding lead in the polls there, but is that the whole story? CNN's John King went back to the Hawkeye State to speak with some of the voters he's been spending time with this year and ask whether the final days of the campaign are changing any minds.
11: Low rolling hills of southwest Iowa, Shannon Eversoll's happy place.
12: I'll just sit out here with my cows and, and take a breath and everything goes back to the way that it should be.
11: A family cattle farmer for 25 years, a two-time Donald Trump voter.
12: I love what he did for small businesses. I love what he did for agriculture. I wish he could have done it a little bit quieter.
11: <laughs> the loud part yeah. is why Eversol is shopping.
12: <laughs> because he wasn't as respectful as I think our president should be, because he didn't bring us together.
11: Shopping for a conservative who doesn't yeah, scare yeah. her liberal friends.
12: I would lean towards Haley. I think that in the face of people calling names, in the face of people yelling and screaming in front of her. She held her composure. Um, I think that she has the demeanor and the life experience uh, that is more connected to actual Americans.
11: Trump's support is deep here, especially in rural counties like Ringgold. But if there is to be an Iowa surprise, Republican women will power it. (laughs) This is Priscilla Forsyth making Christmas crafts with friends in Sioux City. Five months ago, when we first spoke, she was leading Vivek Ramaswamy.
6: I really got the feeling he's brilliant. He's got energy. He's young.
11: Now she urges friends to vote Haley.
6: Usually, to me, the debates don't make a big difference, but they kind of did this time.
11: Forsyth caucused for Trump when he won Sioux City back in 2016. Now she sees something else taking shape.
6: I think they're underestimating the people who don't want the chaos anymore.
11: There's a lot of that in the Des Moines suburbs.
1: We want to turn a chapter. We want to, we want to go to something new.
11: Betsy Sarcone hopes Iowa uses its first-in-the-nation vote to elevate one strong Trump alternative. This is what she told us back in August.
1: I do find I, I am pulled towards DeSantis.
11: And this is now.
1: I am likely a Nikki Haley caucuser.
11: Sarcone says her brother and parents are also leaning Haley, but she's not final just yet.
1: If people were going to consolidate, I would go with DeSantis. Um, that's not what I'm seeing so far. These suburbs out here, you're likely going to see a lot of, it's going to be DeSantis-Haley.
11: But if it's DeSantis-Haley, Trump wins, doesn't he?
1: He does. I mean, that, that's that's the question, right? How, how do you get people to consolidate?
11: Jocelyn Taylor is another mom, an entrepreneur, who hopes the suburbs send a message.
1: I see Nikki Haley
10: helping us identify back with what our culture is, what our vision is, and what our mission is um, as a United States, not a divided states.
11: But as Taylor tries to recruit friends, there's a lesson about Trump's resilience.
10: And they say, oh, I really like Nikki Haley, or I really like Ron DeSantis. But when it comes down to the voting in the primary, I'll probably just vote for Trump because he's gonna get it anyways. And that just really frustrated me. (laughs) The influence of the louder voices is having an impact on people.
11: This is Chris Mudd's big change. Midwest solar is growing and needed a new office. Same candidate though, same confidence.
4: You know, you gotta have thick skin to be for Trump today. And so I think those people that say they're for him are gonna show up.
11: When you hear DeSantis say, you know, we gotta stop losing, or Haley say, no drama, no chaos, time for a new generation of leadership. You say,
4: there are 30, 35, 40 points behind Trump. I would say that they're the chaos and that, that they should, they should uh, stand down
11: and support Trump. Mudd doesn't care about polls showing Haley runs stronger against President Biden. Doesn't care. Trump could be both the Republican nominee and a convicted felon by summer.
4: I think Trump has been pushed into a corner. I think he's got lots of targets on him, and I think he's doing a great job of deflecting every one of them.
11: Doesn't see January 6th as disqualifying. To the contrary.
4: You know why didn't Nancy Pelosi have the National
11: it's Guard there? It's a separate question, though, isn't it? No, that, it's that's, not. A, that's a I legitimate. It's... Que- it's a legitimate question, but but just because there weren't enough cops there, does that give people the right to blow through those barricades to beat those in some cases beat those officers? No, it doesn't. But the people
4: that were there were negligent from stopping it from happening. They wanted it to happen because they wanted they wanted Trump to not be eligible to run again. I think it was
11: set up to end Trump. There is zero evidence to support that. And it is talk like that that is a big reason Shannon Ebersole says enough.
12: Inflammatory acts did not happen by President Trump, but he inflamed a lot of people to do a lot of crazy things that I don't think Americans, I don't think that's really who we are.
11: The cows are still here because the freeze is late, but they will soon have to move. And Ebersole knows that means time is running short for Republicans like her, who hope Iowa sends a message. It is time to move on.
2: John is back from Iowa with me at his other favorite place, sort of, sort of. <laughs> the, the
11: magic wall. Depends on the day. <laughs> uh,
2: so I really, there's so many interesting uh, moments that you uh, captured and feelings that you captured from voters there, first of all, the, the switch among some, especially women, to Nikki uh, Haley, but the, the default, that shoulder shrug, Donald Trump's probably gonna win anyway.
11: And look, fights about Trump ruin relationships at home, at work, uh, in life. And so you pick it up, you hear it, that, you know, I might be for DeSantis, I might be for Haley, but you know what, if Trump's going to win and win big, why bother? Right. It's a secret ballot at the caucus, but the campaigns do have representatives that stand up and give speeches first. Mm-hmm. And so you have to stand there and listen to it. So that's the thing. You, you see these, these women especially playing chess. I'm for Haley, but if I see that eight of my friends are for DeSantis, I'll go over and help you because they want to beat Trump. But we know that the data is overwhelming. Trump has a huge lead. Some of them actually think the Haley supporters, she can pull this off in 30 days. I'd be very skeptical about that. The question is, can somebody, Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, consolidate enough of the anti-Trump vote to come in a strong second? And and convince people, oh, Trump's actually vulnerable.
2: So this is where, right. where things stood at the end of the 2020 campaign. Obviously, Donald Trump uh, did very well. It used to be a swing state, Iowa. And show us where you were actually during yeah. that piece.
11: Part of the magic for me doing this project is this is my 10th campaign, right? So the farm I was at, right? We just saw the Shannon Eversole there. It's Ringgold County down there. It's a tiny, it's the second smallest county in Iowa by population. Donald Trump got 73% of the vote there. This is my first campaign in 1988. Michael Dukakis got wow. nearly 60% of the vote there. Pull out the map, right? Iowa was one of the 10 states mm. Dukakis won. That's the shift in American politics. Rural people, blue collar people, people who work with their hands used Seems to, to be vote Democrats. for the Democrats, right? Priscilla Forsyth this here in Sioux City. It was closer, but Dukakis got half, half of the vote there, right? He won, won that county. Now you come back to 2020 and Donald Trump, and Donald Trump gets nearly 60% there. So part of it, listening to voters mm. The reason you keep doing this is the data says Trump's going to win. But think about 2008, 2016. We have been surprised in 2020. Biden was dead after the first few contests, right? The volatility and the surprise, which is why you keep coming back. The data tells you Trump's going to win, but there's the half of the party that doesn't like him is trying to figure this out.
2: Love these pieces. Also, it was beautifully shot. Really, really A Fantastic
11: gorgeous. crew. Yeah. This, yes. Artists matter.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Next, on the record, independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. sat down with CNN's Casey Hunt. You're going to want to see some of this. Stay with us.
11: I'm Ina Garten.
6: Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them on Be My Guest, the podcast new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your
2: podcasts. Today, independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. sat down with our very own Casey Hunt. He centered his pitch on the middle class, a pitch that is polling higher than any other third party candidate. In fact, any in 30 years. That, of course, amid a likely rematch between Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump.
5: I'm the only candidate who's talking about what's happening to the middle class in this country. And you know this idea that if you work hard by, and you play by the rules, that you ought to be able to make a decent living, you ought to be able to afford a home. So that is just part
2: of his message. Another part of his message has been the fact that he is anti-vax uh, and throws out conspiracy theories a lot on that issue and others. He's also made comments that are widely seen as anti-Semitic.
6: Over the summer in an interview, you said, quote, there's no vaccine that is, you know, safe and effective. Uh, I never said that. So stop me. We have the clip. Uh, No, I would be against mandates at all. For any vaccines? For for any vaccine.
5: Okay. I can understand why people were disturbed by those remarks. They certainly weren't anti-Semitic. They were not? Uh, No, of course not.
2: My panel is back with us. Casey, uh, what's your takeaway? So when
6: I was looking at this interview, first of all, he is polling in this very significant way, 20-something percent. There are clearly some people that are attracted to his candidacy. Obviously, he has a very famous name in American politics as well. There are likely some people that are drawn to that. He has uh, gone into this conspiracy theory space in many ways around anti-Semitism. I talked to him today about the 2020 election and about January 6th and conspiracy theories uh, that he would not immediately refute about FBI agents and law enforcement being involved. It's a whole universe of things. And uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has spent a lot of time saying things on podcasts where the audience is more receptive to those things, uh, where he knows he's speaking to people who are sympathetic to the way he views the world. And it's clear, if you watch some of the videos, the the clips and the interviews he's done in more mainstream outlets, that he tries to revise what he Mm -hmm. says in those platforms and in those forums as he is now trying to appeal to a wider audience and run run for president. And I thought it was very important to try to figure out okay, what does he actually, what is actually he going to be if he were to be elected president? Mm -hmm. Is it the guy on the podcasts, or is it this new version? And I think it was very clear uh, from the interview uh, that he really does, he doubled down, frankly, on all the comments I asked him about that have been problematic or seen as problematic uh, from some of these things. I mean, he said uh, you sort of stack them uh, together there, but he claimed that he had not said that no vaccine is safe and effective, when in fact we were able to show him the video uh, of him saying that on a podcast. And he did go on to say again that there is no vaccine that is safe and effective. And he also said that there should be no mandates for public school children to get vaccines, any vaccines at all. And he also uh, talked about um, the comments that he made where uh,
2: he compared the Holocaust to COVID lockdowns. Okay, I wanna play some of that because uh, this was one of the many important parts of your interview.
5: Even in Hitler's Germany, you could, you could cross the Alps into Switzerland, you can hide in an attic like Anne Frank did. Today, the mechanisms are being put in place that will make it so none of us can run and none of us can hide.
6: So your wife, Cheryl Hines, put out a tweet that called those remarks reprehensible and
5: insensitive. Uh, is she right? No, she's not right. But it was something that needed to be said at that time because CNN, particularly Jake Tapper, who I know is very, very close to you, um, took those remarks and, uh, and misinterpreted them, mischaracterized them. Well, I mean, it uh, you put like it looks like you're comparing it to, Wait, you're
6: comparing me. COVID to what happened in Hitler's
5: journey during the Holocaust. No, I never did that. Show the whole clip. That's let's not what let's I was play doing. it again.
2: And he said, no, we don't have to play it again. I just want to say, for the record, that Jake didn't misinterpret or mischaracterize what RFK Jr. said. He said what he said. And we just played it, and you were willing to play it again for him. And it's, it is a consistent um, point of view uh, when you look at conspiracies, because anti-Semitism is the oldest conspiracy of civilization. It goes back thousands and thousands of years.
6: Yes, it does. And it comes out in many, uh, frankly, grotesque ways. Um, And it is uh, a a touchstone for uh, many of the people who are kind of swept up in a universe that often incorporates a number of these conspiracy theories. And I just will note, if you go on to listen to more, I pressed him and said, uh, you know, is this something that you would say again? And he basically said yes. Yeah.
2: Jackie, it just seems as though people who are drawn to conspiracy theories, drawn to the anti-vax, anti-Semitism, anti-a lot of things... not going to care whether he was consistent or not and that is part of what is so um frankly alarming about our political discourse right now
1: it it is and, and that but that is only that's a small relatively group of people i think what um more so once voters who get to know him a little bit better. There are people who are going to, who want to support him because of his famous name. I would say they're but,
6: Kennedy but, Curious. But yes,
1: they're, they're Kennedy Curious, exactly. And, and, but they don't know all the ins and outs. And he has done uh, a good job in some ways of papering over some of these things that he has made a career out of what he said, um, tying incorrectly tying vaccines yeah. to autism he had, that has been his That's career true. so he, he's trying before he ran for yeah. office so he's trying to paper over this we'll see how long that lasts when the other candidates okay. namely for president trump and president and president biden start seeing him eat
2: into well, their totals we're gonna have to leave it there thank you thank you for bringing thanks very much and for, showing for being now. um a dogged reporter as you <laughs> always are I appreciate it. Up next, Melania Trump makes a rare public appearance to swear in 25 new American citizens. Be proud of yourself. Stand your ground. And embrace the opportunities that lie ahead. You are American.
5: Congratulations again.
2: This morning... Former First Lady Melania Trump swore in 25 people from 25 countries to become new American citizens and did it at the National Archives. Good morning. It's a ceremony she knows well, having gone through the same process herself when she became a U.S. citizen in 2006. Today was a rare public appearance for the former First Lady. CNN's Kristen Holmes is here with me. Uh, Kristen.
13: Yeah, it was very interesting. Hold on, I can hear myself, so I'm just going to take that out. So she was personally invited to do this event by the new archivist at the National Archives, Colleen Shogun, who used to work at the White House Historical Society. She became friends, they became friends when Melania Trump was in the White House. They worked on a series of events together. But what's most striking about this event really goes to what the heart of Donald Trump's current campaign is, which is, we hear him almost every time he's out there talking about pledging that if he was reelected to office, he would expand on those hardline immigration policies, and that includes making it harder to become a U.S. citizen. I want you to listen to what she said about this during the event. My personal experience of traversing the challenges of the immigration process opened my eyes to the harsh realities people face, including you, who to try to become U.S. citizens. And one thing to note is that I have just started covering Melania Trump. I have been covering Trump for a long time, but I did speak to our former colleague and friend, Kate Bennett, who wrote a book on this, and she did remind me that Melania Trump is often out of step with her husband when her husband intentionally so yes and when her husband was talking about the border and his child separation policies she was going down to the border she issued a statement supporting lebron james after trump attacked lebron james so she's often again out of step but the other part of this that is ironic is the fact that the archives are really the reason behind why Dr- Trump was indicted in one of these special counsel probes. They asked the Justice Department to investigate Donald Trump's handling of classified documents or presidential documents after he left office, which led to the investigation, which led to an indictment and charges with a trial set in May. So just the location itself speaks of irony. And then, of course, you add the component about immigration.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful Moment to see anybody who has wanted to be a U.S. citizen become a U.S. citizen, and the fact that she participated and she hasn't been out yep. in a very long time, certainly not on the campaign trail, is interesting. Thanks. Good to see you, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining Inside Politics today. CNN News Central starts after the break.
0: When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level.